Well, we're back for another week. This is the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name's Alon. And I'm Tim. And I'm Justin. Justin. First time on the show. Justin, who are you? Uh, I'm the lead artist for uh, Morgopolis Studios. And what's, Morga- what's it called? Morgopolis Studios. We're Mor- Morgopolis Studios. Yeah. All right. Is that just like a home thing? or a I, not- It does. I guess Studios Tim's all might into not be indie. the right word. Yeah, it's indie. It's a big name. But, uh, you know, we've got a few people. We're working together on a game. Well, okay. are, are you incorporated? <laughs> uh, He's no. probably not oh, the one. Oh, you're not even legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but you're working on something right now. We have a website called Morgopolis Studios. Oh, okay. That's worth yeah. something. Good luck spelling that, listeners. Spelling these days has gone downhill, and I'm speaking just about the general American uh, you know, youth. Although not all our listeners are from, from the United States, right? But, but go spell Morgopolis. I'm sure that I could do it. Uh, Morgopolis would never be in a spelling bee. <laughs> no, but yeah, it is but- every day you try to get there on the internets. Right? Right, you need a good uh, domain name, Morgopolis dot com. Yeah, nobody's taking right. that. Okay, well, except you guys. I hope. Please tell me you have your domain name. because uh, you said there's a website. It's yeah. not like Morgopolis dot WordPress dot com, is it? It sort of might be the name of the game and not the name of the uh, studio, but yeah. but you still have the the domain. Yeah, we, 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 yeah, sure. Okay, so it is taken. Oh, yeah, good. Okay, so Tim. Before we get into Justin's stuff, I heard that you made a game called Super Smash Brothers. Well, I didn't make Super Smash Brothers. That's what it sounded like you said. I said Super Smash Brothers. Smashed. There's an ED yeah. on the end of that. Uh, that's true. That's a game that I made back in like 2000 to 2003. Okay. So a long time ago. Uh-huh. Before you really had your gaming chops. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I learned a heck of a lot by making it. But, uh, and you also did all the art, right? That's true. That's, uh... And I heard the art was spot on. Right. Well, for a while, I was making parody games, and I was making, like, kind of purposely scribbly art to kind of coincide with these parody games. And it, it worked, but, like, not everybody got it. So it's like, these days, I get a little bit jealous when I see a game... Like, do you know what, uh, what Run Man is? No. Okay. Uh, oh, you don't know who he is? He's even an unlockable character in Super Meat Boy. Anyway, my game has a very similar aesthetic to Super or t- to Run Man. And uh, I, I get a little jealous when people look at that and they're like, oh, yeah, the uh, art style is, is so cool. I think my game was just a little bit ahead of its time or something. Because at the time, everybody just said that it looked like a four-year-old drew it. Yeah, well, it wasn't far enough in time to be considered retro, apparently. That's I guess that's true, but it's not quite a retro style. It's just kind of like MS Paint thick lines uh, that are very wiggly because you have unnecessary animation. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? Where you yes. like, yeah, you'll draw the same frame twice just for the sake of having a slight offset so yes. it looks like it's in motion even when it's stagnant, that kind of thing. Okay, so you made this game and you actually tried to sell it somewhere and then Nintendo got a little upset about it, right? Well, I was, yeah, I was selling the CDs on Cafe Press and that didn't last very long. Then I was just selling like digital distribution on my website, but that was before there were any digital distribution methods. So I was just like, "Yo, sure, yeah, just send me money through PayPal, and I'll like email you the exe," which is kind of awkward. Wait, couldn't you have just given them a page to download it from? Uh, well, no, because then they could share that page. Yeah, but you could you could send the link to him, and then you could put the link somewhere else, change it. Nah, it's too complicated, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's well, fine. I, I don't know. Because um, yeah. you know that they could just share it after downloading it from you through email. Of course. Okay. <laughs> In fact, they could share it on their own website. Right. Okay. So really... Well, I did, I did eventually make it, it free, so I don't know whether or not that happened. But the the bottom line is that... So there's this guy named Tim who eventually put it up on a website and just made it free. <laughs> uh-huh. What a douche. <laughs> Um, well, it was, it was so here's why this game was funny to me, though. We we have not talked for about five minutes about why this game was actually funny. Um, you do a lot of parody. Uh, I've humor, done several. Right. Um, and this is Super Smash Brothers. And what were the characters' names? Uh, Martinio and Lugie. Martinio and Lugie. And there was a princess in the game. Oh, uh, yeah. Princess Schnapps. Not Princess Peach, but Schnapps. Right. See? I get it. That's only one leap. Only one leap of thought <laughs> from the peach to the schnapps. 
Right. And may, I don't know, maybe the kids don't get it, but I sure did. <laughs> and I thought, knee slapper, that is funny. So I just wanted to bring that up. And if our listeners want to play that game, they can do that. It was a hard game to design because the point was, oh, let's make a game where it feels like you're drunk all the time. And then, oh, hey, let's make a game that's fun, which are kind of two opposing. Well, actually, no, that's that's not a good way of putting it. Um, Being drunk means that there's a lot of delay in your actions, which leads to a feeling of really bad controls. That's the primary issue with the game. Yeah. Well, I think you could design it differently. Probably. In order to do that. And for instance... Make it not a delay in the control, but a delay in seeing the things you need to see that you might want to avoid. Does that does that make sense? Or, yeah, yeah, or basically yeah. give it beer goggles so you can control. Yeah, as there's a, there's as you a want. level like that. I mean, the game's got ten totally different levels. Okay, there's cool. one where you you get double vision, and every so often you get triple vision. And what's the website? Twin Sky Games. That's right, TwinSkyGames.com. All right, a website where someone will let you download that very game for free. Yeah, I'm, I'm not like sure if that. it's legitimate or not, but... All right. So I urge people to go play that. I have not played it. Apparently, it got uh, panned critically. Well, I mean, I didn't get a lot of feedback. That was before, like, YouTube and stuff, so it was even hard. To, like, it's it's almost hard to think back to the time hey, where, on the internet, you couldn't just, like, share a video and, like, get a bunch of comments on the video. It's like, it was kind of hard. I, I posted on a few forums about this game and stuff, and... I don't even know how many people visited those sites. They rebooted the Hulk. They re- rebooted Spider-Man. You could reboot Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> you don't even need to remake it. Just remarket it. Yeah. Uh, that game, uh, if from, you could just make that mobile. From what I hear, uh, now that I've done a little bit more research on parody, the big two companies that are the easiest to piss off when you're making fun of their stuff is Disney, first and foremost. Absolutely. And Nintendo, secondly. So just change it, Super Smashed Sisters, or as we mentioned before the show, Super Smashed Hermatios, <laughs> or whatever the Italian word is for brothers, which I'm guessing is like the Spanish Hermanos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's probably totally different, by the way. I, I'm, I'm not quite convinced yet, but I see where you're going with this. Make it sisters. Marticia and Luginia. Maybe, maybe I'll start a Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. Listen, Princess Schnapps must be heard. I think that's funny. <laughs> All right. So, wow, Justin, you heard our show last week. Is that right? Yeah. You listened to it and you had feedback and you said, I kind of wish that I could call in or just talk to you guys while you were recording the show. And so we said, well, why don't you just, why don't you just come down and do the show? Right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was actually talking to the podcast while it was running. (laughs) Sweet. A lot of people do that. And there are occasions when we hear them. And then the next week we just forget about it, but but we have the technology. So um, so what is it that riled you up so much about last week's episode that you had to yell to an inanimate speaker? It was the uh, basic comment that like modern games are uh, a waste. Of, oh oh, that modern game designers are just wasting our time. They're messing up. <laughs> like like they don't have like multi million dollar games and focus groups and stuff. It's not the modern game designers that's a problem. It's just it's the modern gamers and what they want. Surely you understood we were we were talking about a specific group or in generalities, you know, where where it doesn't apply to everyone or every scenario. Right? Well, it's I mean, you you guys are the minority here. I mean, when you say certain group, it's like the certain group, like everybody want everybody wants to play uncharted. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, glad. I'm glad we agree on that one. Uh, yeah, and I got to tell you, I played Uncharted, and I played it all the way through, which means it had to be good enough for me to be willing to play all the way through. And by good enough, I just mean interesting enough. Right, but but I never, I always, I would play that game thinking to myself, I wish there was more gameplay here. I wish there was more going on, because I realize that all I'm doing is following their script of jumping from here to here to here. And if I tried, I might have a hard time dying, even though I'm hanging from this train that's over a cliff. And like, I honest to God thought that I couldn't die. And I actually, I put it to the test and I I did die once um, (laughs) because I eventually fell off. But, but they treat it such that like any person could get through that game if they just keep pressing the right buttons. I mean, there's there's not much skill. Well, 
I, I wouldn't put it that way. I mean, uh, well, maybe you had an easy time with the game. Uh, I just died constantly. But um, it's like uh, Uncharted. There's another way of looking at it. Look at it this way. Uncharted is probably the best RPG that came out in like the last five years. RPG? Yes. How can you even describe it as an RPG? Because I'm pretending to be Nathan? You're pretending to be Nathan. And not only that, you're rewarded when you pretend to be Nathan, when you play as Nathan. Um, oh, okay, like uh, 10 years ago or something, I, the first time I played an adventure game was like Monkey Island. It was a port on the PS1. Never played it, by the way. Can you believe that? Never uh, played Monkey Island. I, I can kind of believe it. Okay. Sorry. Uh, and, um, like, I, was, I just sucked at the game. I was terrible. Uh, but the reason I sucked at the game is that, like, I was playing it logically. Like, I get a rope, and I think, oh, you can use the rope to get up on the higher ledge or something. And in Monkey Island, that's, you know, that doesn't make any sense at all. You have to actually play like the game, and then it rewards you for thinking in the game's world like it's humor. Um, and then in Uncharted, you know, like, as Nathan drank, you're rewarded when you play within the the logic of the game. Well, the game- so that's in line with my comment last week of how you're not fighting against these actual challenges in a game, but you're fighting to be in line with an unseen director. Yeah, and I can't... Well, and that is a good comment, but I can't really say that it's... Um, you're playing... You're re- being rewarded to be Nathan Drake. You're not being... Uh, punished for going against, like if you make a mistake or something, uh, you're not going against the director, you're going against what Nathan Drake would do. You're not acting like the character would. I I see that as one and the same. Alright, well you two ponder that. We're going to go to break, and we'll be right back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. All right, we're back again. Before we move on, I'm going to remind everybody... We have a website, and we have a sponsor. Our website is chatterboxgameshow.com. Our sponsor is the University of Advancing Technology. They have a website. It's uat.edu. You go to that website if you want to learn about the programs that they offer for going to school and making games while at school, which are two things that not a lot of people get to do together. But uh, Hey, you Justin, know. you went to UAT. I sure did. Oh, Jesus. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Didn't you know? This is like a reunion. <laughs> I swear. I did not plan this. It's just, wow. It's Are we all gainfully employed? Uh, well, I'm... Oh, no, I'm not supposed to say that on here. But <laughs> but you have a job, and you get a paycheck. And, Justin, you have a job. I work for Morgopolis Studios. <laughs> <laughs> I'm between paychecks at the moment. Okay. But you may get paid for the work that you're doing now. Yeah. Eventually. Uh, yeah, maybe next year. It's possible. Okay. Wow. Good times. Go to um, school, kids. Yeah, actually, Justin uh, lived in the apartment right next to mine. This was before UAT had, you know, they you know whatever dorms. you call it, fancy on-site living. Yeah, they turned half of their uh, parking lot into a humongous dorm that's like twice as tall as the rest of the buildings. Yeah, so I remember I enjoyed, uh, you know, breaking into your apartment at night to see if you were making a pie, which you usually were. I I ate a lot of pie back then, yeah. What, what kind of pie? Were they all the, the chocolate that I would enjoy or it fruit was, pies? Because fruit pies are not awesome. They're fruit pies. Fruit pies. Every time you go down uh, to Fry's and they would have like the frozen pie two for $4 special. 
And so you could get two freaking pies and just stack them up in your freezer. Wait, wait, wait. You told me he made pie. Well, he. Well, yeah, you just that's... meant he heated up pie. Yeah, I mean that's the same thing. No, my gosh. When you're a college Please. student, it's the same thing. I thought this kid was Martha Stewart making pies. He's, he's an artist like, at mm, UAT. Can, can I have some of that pie? And he's like, no, it's my pie. Well, yeah. You I'm not sorry. Enjoy, well, you usually, it seems like when you cooked a pie, you plan to always eat the whole pie yourself. But you seem to be less disgruntled about me asking for pie when I started bringing ice cream. Yeah, that was fair. Well, yeah, fair trade. Okay. All right, fine. Moving on. We were talking about cinematic games, and you two seem to be arguing a bit uh, about the legitimate... We were just arguing semantics. It wasn't important. Okay. So what is the point we're trying to make, though? You don't like, Tim, games that are uh, overly cinematic because it takes away from the gameplay. Well, I, did, I didn't actually say that I didn't... I'm uh, Okay, so it's not it's not quite my taste because I do personally prefer more of the traditional things that make a game a game. And... You know, I've gotten into a few cinematic games, though, and I do appreciate the things that they do that you can't get through other means of entertainment. I mean, I played through La Noire, or L.A. Noir, as I guess it's actually called. Oh, God, it's L.A. Noir. <laughs> La Noir. Okay. And uh, I mostly enjoyed it, but there were definitely parts of the game where I felt that tension of not being able to do what I as a player wanted to do, and the game's just like, oh, yeah, you're doing this now. Okay. And, Justin, you just think that everybody wants these games, but you haven't taken a stance on them. Um, Oh, well, I enjoy them, but, uh, you know, I don't really... I I might be on your side here, but... But they they can be kind of fun, but at the same time, you realize, what am I doing with this? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like it's like, wow, that was good. Now I can go play real games. So here's the thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something I learned today. Um, I tend to listen to audiobooks in my car, and I'm listening to this book right now called uh, Biology, and Bi is B U Y. It's sort of a marketing book when you want to figure out what people are thinking and why they buy stuff. And uh, that's really what the whole book is about. But there's this part he's, he's discussing. Uh, subliminal messaging and how there was a time when uh, cigarette ads were not banned, right? Like you don't see cigarette ads on television. You don't see cigarette ads in most magazines. You especially don't Uh, see Fred Flintstone smoking in commercials anymore. Some of those old commercials are hilarious. Yeah. Contrast. So so these are the things you don't see. But apparently um, Marlboro and Joe Camel, all these other people are just Camel, um, figured out the subliminal advertising or marketing, rather, works even better. And here's some of the things they do. They will pay um, a restaurant or bar, someplace you might go at night, right, to establish a decor that matches their branding, right? So, like, red and Marlboro are linked. So there's red everywhere um, or in certain shapes, right? And I don't remember every little bit of it, and it's my point isn't to just recreate the elements that I'm learning in this book, but he's talking about this subliminal messaging. It's not right in your face, but it makes people really, really want to smoke, at least in the case that he was de- describing, right? And this could be taken to, to other fields as well, not just um, tobacco. I'm playing these games, and I'm liking them, but I don't know why. And when I think about it consciously, I get upset with myself. Now it sounds like you're talking about Facebook games. No, not talking about <laughs> Facebook games. Um, but that's the analogy I'm, I'm driving at, that I find myself playing the game and being interested in it because, yeah, it's, it's basically got good graphics and good voiceovers. So I feel like I'm in the middle of a movie and then I go and I do some stuff that's, I don't know, I want to say it's kind of interesting, but it's not. It's like from this ledge, now press the controller to the left and then press A so you jump from this to there. Like there wasn't much puzzle element. There wasn't much thought. It was just sort of, do this, which is obvious on the screen, get to the next part, maybe shoot some guys and have to run away from like a Yeti or something, which was actually a really annoying part about Uncharted 2, and then get to the next cutscene so you can live the story out. Well, so it's mostly about the special effects, right? It's mostly about the pretty graphics and how it makes you feel like you're about to fall off a cliff or get hurt in some way. But the gameplay was, was minimal. And when I think about it consciously... 
I get just stupefied by the fact that I'm still enjoying this game. And then I keep playing. That's fine because I'm liking it. But I feel bad in retrospect liking a game like that because I should be smarter and generally a better person. So that's my feeling on the subject. Is Morgopolis one of these games? Because you're defending it quite a bit. No, I, um, I'll be honest. I'd probably never make a game anything like that. But okay. uh, yeah, what you're saying about uh, Uncharted, um, you can, you know, like there's a lot of gameplay elements in Uncharted. And the fact that it breaks off from non-interactive to interactive elements um, can still be engaging to you as a player. Like, even if you're not involved in the game at the same moment. Well, see, that's where I take issue. It's not engaging as a player. It's engaging as a watcher. Or whatever else you would want to call that. Engaging as an audience. Okay, you're right. You do wear two different hats. Um, And that's fine. Like, it's entertainment. The point of it is to be entertainment. I'm not trying to say that it shouldn't be made, you know, that people, they shouldn't make money out of it, whatever. I'm just saying that as, as someone who considers himself like a core gamer, I feel like I should be playing something that's actually a game. And if I want to watch a movie, we argue a lot on this show. Well, we don't argue. We, we make the point that games are good when they're games and movies are good when they're movies. And mixing the two pretty much doesn't work very well because you're aiming for one, either a narrative or an interaction. And as soon as you let one slip in the other direction, you're losing the core of, of your intent, which is to either make a game or present a story. You go towards a gaming story and it doesn't work very well and vice versa. But Justin, isn't it of your opinion that most people actively playing games right now aren't going for challenges, aren't going for, you know, me winning? It's more about, like, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe what the actual appeal would be. And it's it has something to do with that, uh, just the appeal of being able to control some cool action hero. I mean, is it, is it a... A power fantasy? Is it more than that? I've had a real reality check lately. We've had a lot of playtesters for the game. And the kind of feedback you get is, I mean, there are places where the game is really straightforward or something. And there's no puzzles at all. But according to the playtesters, they're like, you know, like, I can't figure this out. This doesn't make any sense at all. Why don't you tell me what to do? And, uh, like, it's almost to the point where why do you even have a game over? Why is there a fail state? And, you know, it's it's hard to... Uh, right. So you're talking about this mentality where people will play a game and just have the um, the strategy guide or game facts open the entire time that they're playing the game. So either you don't even have a chance to get stumped or any time they hit any kind of tension in the game, they just refer to some outside source in order to make it through as quickly as possible. Yeah, the challenge, uh, they don't get re- any reward out of it. It doesn't matter. It just matters that they're still progressing. And uh, whether or not they're a part of that doesn't matter too much. Uh, that it's interactive, they get, like, you know, there's always a good feeling when you jump with Mario. But that does, like, you know, you for a lot of people, most gamers, they don't need to have, like, that really tough pit to have a good time. So there's, we've we've talked about challenge quite a bit and how overcoming challenge is a reward in and of itself. And that's that's what gamers often enjoy, right? So jumping over the pit with Mario, landing on that little, little bit of land and not dying, um, and doing that successfully for I mean, that to level. me is fundamentally what a game is. What are the win conditions? What are the lose conditions? Yeah, but then what you're talking about, or what you were referring to a minute ago, was about puzzles. And like, so there's, we should recognize there's mm-hmm. two different types of challenge, at least that we're talking about now. One is a puzzle. And I'm, when I say that, I mean like linear puzzle. Think seventh guest, right? Where you know the answer, after you've gone through it, and doing it a second time is going to be very, very easy, right? Like in Mist, you could finish the game in, in like under two minutes or something if you already know the code to the fireplace or whatever that thing was. Um, the challenge doesn't exist in certain types of puzzles, um, puzzles that just have a stated answer. And so some of those will be too difficult for the, the player. They will seek out help, right? And that's the challenge, whatever. But in a Mario game, the challenge is obvious, and it's a, it is a question of skill. You can only do it by trying. You can't do it by reading, right? You have to actually, physically, well, physically, virtually do this thing, like jump over a gap or onto something or something that I think of as gameplay and not puzzle. I want to continue that. We'll be right back. 
to me, Mario. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. It's a number one. All right, we're back. Our website is chatterboxgameshow.com. If you want to interact with us, just like dear Justin, you can send me a dear Alon letter through the email address on that site. It's Alon at chatterboxgameshow.com. There's also a little contact us here, whatever. That goes to me. And uh, if you want to call us, leave a voicemail, maybe one that we could use on the show, uh, 4804GAME21. You can leave a voicemail, and when Ara gets back from his trip in a month, we'll listen to those and maybe talk about them. If you want to be on the show immediately, email. Email is the way to go. Or show up in Phoenix, one or the other, right? And then email me. You get it. Tim will let anybody into his house, by the way. So so we're fine. Now, um, I was. I like that we have that break there because it, it sort of cut my, my tangent. The point I was making was there's two types of challenge, at least, that we're discussing here. One, puzzle, which if it's a, a linear, like, stated solution puzzle... They can be difficult, and you can surpass them simply by reading. And those are the ones where it's annoying, right? When, or it's frustrating, rather, as a game designer or someone who appreciates the game to have people just skip by it by reading a fact or a uh, you know, guide or something. But no guide is going to help you get over the gap properly in Mario. Well, it might a little bit, but still, you have to do it. So I could actually... I would feel okay reading a guide that sort of gave me some tips on how to surpass some obstacle, right? But I don't feel okay reading the guide or solution to a puzzle. Um, Even though I do it personally, I'll just be like, screw this. I'm just going to read it and get past it because I want to see the rest of the game. I did that in Fez like all the time. But I've also talked on the show before about how it ruined Fez for me, right? If I put all the time into it and really figured out the stuff and the language and all that, I would have been way happier and enjoyed the game more. Now, I'm conscious of that, right? Most players aren't. They don't think about it enough. I realized that I ruined that game for myself. Um, but yeah, when, when you have those physical hurdles, it's a lot more interesting and fun. And you feel like you're overcoming something every time you come across that. Imagine if you had a, a puzzle in a game that had a stated solution, and they give you the same puzzle with the same solution later on in the level or later on in the game. And maybe you had to do that 10 times, right? It would not be interesting more than the first time. So I don't even know the point I was trying to make with that overall. Yeah, I mean, that last point is interesting because that's true for level design too, right? Like you can't just keep putting the same kind of action challenge in a game over and over. Well, you can to a degree. Not not you have to mix not in rapid somewhat. succession, right? right? But I mean, I think we've all heard that a game is really what, like thirty seconds of gameplay, interestingly repeated. Uh, okay, can, right. Like, yeah, every game will have a hook. Any good game, anyway, will have a hook, and you basically just do that a lot, right? Think Bionic Commando. Yeah, they cool. literally had a hook. Get it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> lol. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> he made a really cheesy laughter voice or face. You guys didn't see it. It was hilarious. I might have rolled my eyes a little bit. Yes. You have this interesting way of being able to roll your chin as well. <laughs> I don't know if you know that about yourself. We're not very close, Justin and I, so he might think I'm trying to be offensive right now. I'm not. I'm just saying you did this thing, which was funny to me, kind of like a fuck-off kind of motion to me. So, anyway. Sorry. Yeah, that, that's kind of half true, yes. Yeah. <laughs> See? I know my audience. <laughs> okay, moving along... Uh, Tim wanted to talk about something on a box. Oh, yeah. So I just wanted to point out how the way that games are marketed really shines the light on how people play games, I think. Because, you know, I mean, granted, boxes are kind of going away. But, you know, the back of the box is your pitch or, like, your iPhone description or whatever. You know, I've thought about that all over the over the, the past many years and realized that I don't shop by box anymore. Like that, I don't know when that stopped for me, but it was it, it was around my teenage years. Like after after I went to college, that never happened. Well, anymore. it happens after you 
you know, after it doesn't live up to what it claims that it is, you know, a lot, a lot of games kind of lied about how awesome they are. I mean, <laughs> well, that's definitely true. But basically now I feel like if you go into a store and, and look at whatever the, the game cover is, I like, I can't even tell what kind of game it is, right? Because it just, oh, yeah. it just shows you screen captures that don't demonstrate the, the core of the game or they're just cinematics or sometimes they won't have, you know, screenshots right. at all. And they'll just talk about the story associated with oh, the game. Oh, yeah. A, like, a lot of uh, game pitches now are indistinguishable from, like, movie pitches. Yeah. It's just, hey, live the life of a dude and whatever and then make right. some money. And right, like, right, well, right. Yeah, so, so that's one of the huge uh, differences here is that on game descriptions now, it's like, oh, play the role of whoever and do all this cool stuff. Where back then, back in the 80s, it was all about... Oh, overcome this challenge. Like you read the back of the box and it psychs you up to overcome what the game has for you. Let me let me just read the back of the box for Super Mario Brothers 1 real quick. So Super Mario Brothers, do you have what it takes to save the mushroom princess? You'll have to think fast and move even faster to complete this quest. The mushroom princess is being held captive by the evil Koopa tribe of turtles. It's up to you to rescue her from the clutches of the Koopa King before time runs out. But it won't be easy to get the princess. You'll have to climb mountains, cross seas, avoid bottomless pits, fight off turtle soldiers, and a host of black magic traps that only a Koopa King can devise. It's another nonstop adventure from the Super Mario Brothers. Wait a minute, another? Uh, well, I guess it's the sequel to Mario Brothers. But yeah, that's that's a good point. I wonder if it's considered the sequel to Mario Brothers. I I learned about Mario Brothers after Super Mario Brothers, so I always thought that Mario Brothers came afterwards. Mm. But but I'm anyway, not the, really the point true. is that the the back of this box says you know you. It puts a lot of emphasis on what the player is doing in the game, and mod, uh, you, you don't see a lot of games that do that these days. You do in EA games. Oh really? Yeah, EA, and, and I know this because a friend of mine, I've talked about it on the show before, he's a marketer at EA, and he talked about how the company in general has this this marketing theme of making uh, the player feel like he's in the game, right? And if you look at um, Lord of the Rings games that were, you know, EA had the Lord of the Rings license for a while. Um, it's all about, like, living the movie. You are the characters in this and uh, yeah so i think that's just a uh, marketing mentality i think the only semi-modern ea game i've got here is burnout paradise and yeah it it does that shred your way across blah 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 blaze your path to glory right yeah see no you're right just pick anything ea and it's going to have that because that's sort of like their their mantra of, of marketing um but what i was expecting to read or for you to read on the back of the mario box since i don't think i've ever read it is like talk about this platformer game, you'll be fighting these characters oh, yeah. and jumping well, over the pits the and that crossing that the seas. The term platformer game didn't come until way later. I was going to say, it probably didn't exist until Mario came right. around. But um, I want to know what I'm playing. And at least with Nintendo games, they had this, this concept of genre, like action game or role-playing <laughs> game or sports game. So, it said some, right some on the other, cartridge. Some of their old uh, categories were, were pretty weird and questionable. I don't yeah. know if you remember the... Well, like I the think the difference between action ad- and adventure was questionable. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say too. That I never really knew what the difference was. Yeah, and I have a feeling adventure is less twitchy, more like Zelda-ish, right? Right, and Mario is probably the action. But I think Super Pitfall might have been um, adventure because it wasn't just from point A to point B kind of game. Super Pitfall, the Mayan Adventure, or are we talking Super Pitfall, the Su- terrible <laughs> NES? Yeah, the, N- the NES game. Okay. Fascinating. <clears throat> where where else do we want to go with this? Are we done? Are we done talking about cinematic games and well, modern do, day marketing? I don't have anything to contribute to. Like, I mean, you got like there's two people in the world now, and like there's people who like don't like Uncharted, and then there's all the people having fun playing Uncharted. Well, I think it's funny to me that we choose Uncharted as the example, by the way, because there's plenty of of other games that are cinematic. Stuff. Like we were talking about Heavy Rain as well. I mean, that's like the 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 primo example of narrative in games. Yeah, for a lot of people, that was. Um, I mean, like you know, they never played anything like that. That was. Um, that's what's weird to me. They're like, I, I've never played a game like this, and I'm like, it doesn't even feel like a game to me. <laughs> it's swear to you like they made a point of saying 
you it feels like you're playing a movie. Oh, it's finally the Citizen Kane of video games. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> I don't know. So I actually I borrowed it from Molly, who you may not know has been on the show before. Our listeners know who Molly is, um, and I still haven't given it back. It's been like ten years or something, and. I did start playing it, and there was once or twice where my wife brought it up. She's like, hey, what a, what about that game? And she described it in whatever way she would describe that game that has nothing to do with the game. Um, and I thought, yeah, no, we still have it. We could we could play it again. But, like, it didn't keep my interest enough to even, like, pop it in a second time. It was just, it was just boring. I don't... We were talking earlier about how sometimes people get get lost. You, you were talking about with your game, the playtesters just want yeah. to be told what to do. Right in that game, I want to be told what to do because there's, there's nothing fun about not doing whatever I'm supposed to be doing next. That's for damn sure because the game is not actually fun to play. It's just fun to watch, like by virtue of its very design. And it has to tell you what to do all the time. It's like here, quick, press X. Okay, now press X again, and it's saying it right on the screen. I mean, you're not really as and you're just listening to the dials and just pressing them and then going through the motions. Oh yeah, they don't even hide it. That's there are some things like I don't think it tells you to scan the ground and find the evidence and whatever. So there's, it's not completely contrived, but it's like ninety five percent there. It's a step up from uh, David Cage's last game. He did Indigo Prophecy, and in that one, it was totally separate. Like there were like sections where you're playing an adventure game, and then there's other sections where you go in, and it would just have QTE like like press X please press triangle. QTE listener is quick time event. Yeah. And it would just go, you know, and you do that for like 10 minutes straight, and then you go back to the adventure game. So that's basically like he wanted to tell a long story arc and didn't want you to get bored, so you would just press attention. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that was his action segments uh, uh, for an adventure game. But you brought up this guy, David Cage, a few minutes ago during the break as, as a pioneer. David Cage, like, I have a love-hate for David Cage. Like, uh, I mean, he's the guy who made Omicron, which is... Something you love. Love-hate. Like, okay. it's like, I mean... The he game, also made Heavy Rain, right? Yeah, he also made Heavy Rain. Uh, I'm more of an Omicron gener- generation kind of guy. Like, that's what I remember David Cage for. And, like, it's like love because it starts out with David Bowie, like, just, you know, screaming. And hate because the entire game. Oh. Okay, yeah, that sounds like a piece of quality then. Um, Maybe you can tell me more. We'll be right back. Are you going to find a master of science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. We're back again for the final segment with Tim and Justin and myself. And uh, I'm going to remind everyone to go to UAT.edu, the website for the University of Advancing Technology, and to email me so that we can hear what you want to, uh, to talk about. And I, right now, am going to talk about what I want to talk about. We were d- discussing something else before the break, and then during the break, we all had a much more fascinating discussion than I thought we would have during the break. So we're in Tim's house right now, and Tim has pretty much everything. No, remember, it's not internet-worthy. What's not internet worthy? Oh, this this collection. It's uh, listen. 
he has a lot of stuff. So I like games. I have some games. I have, my my collection is basically prized on a few things that are autographed. Uh, and I've talked about those in the show before. I'm not going to get into them again. But you come over here and he's got like a couple of the chainsaws for Resident Evil 4. He's got the weird uh, jelly controller from Dragon Quest. Uh, all sorts of games and imports and, you know, Luigi and Mario hats and everything from Club they're, they're Nintendo. hat cushions hat cushions every nintendo club nintendo thing that's ever been released a million controllers for every system it's basically a game nerds bachelor pad paradise and so i asked him i said what what uh piece of memorabilia or, or gaming that you don't have would you want um clearly some something must be missing from this palace but i can't figure out what it would be yeah and i just started rambling about uh super nintendo games since that's what's been on my mind lately i've been building up my super nintendo collection but justin had a much better um piece of memorabilia so justin what did you ask us about wait i just wanted to add that one time i was over here at tim's house and i was baking up some cookies and i had a pie not a pie i can bake i like and like literal bake and it's not like i pulled it out of a freezer and then just threw it in the oven i can like do it those things. The pies. i got i got some credibility uh, not pies though i don't do okay. pies anymore never uh and i was look i was like hey tim like you know where's all your like you know utensils and stuff i open up a cupboard and like it's bare the only thing in there is like a power glove <laughs> yeah he's got a power glove in the corner i think i have five power gloves <laughs> i have one back God. home i don't see the steel battalion controller anywhere Oh, yeah, I don't actually have an original Xbox or anything for it, except oh, for those uh, Burger King like four. Those Burger King parody Xbox games are the only games I have, I have for it. I have two of every of the Burger King games. <laughs> I went in there, I was like, you need to sell me all of these. Like, well, you have to buy these. I was like, I will buy a burger, you sell me all of the games. I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did that too. Yeah. Okay, so back to Justin. What did you bring up during the break? Well, because we were talking about the Vectrix first, right? You did mention the Vectrex on top of the Yeah, 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 and I wanted, wanted to one-up that by saying, like, there's another Atari thing that's, like, more rare and more, like, fabled than anything else, and it's the sword from Sword Quest. But I had never heard of this. Uh, yeah, 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 well, um, I mean, like, I never even heard of Sword Quest before. Uh, exactly my point. Yeah, my, uh, back when I worked at a place called Video Game Castle, my boss used to tell me this story like it was some, like, crazy legend and, like, he's telling me, like, yeah, because he was still selling video games at that time, I guess. Uh, he couldn't have had his business open. But anyway, he knew all about this. And, like, I didn't believe him. But then I, like, read about it on the internet later on. And then, instantly, you then believed it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like those ghost stories. So, Justin, what, what is Sword Quest? Um, Sword Quest is this game, like, that Atari did. And it was a series of games. And they released, like, uh, they were going to do a total of, what, five? Four, I think. So it was based on the elements, right? Uh, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, they got to, like, two before. And this was, like, literally right before the, the big game crash of the early 80s. And, uh, but the cool thing was, and they planned this before they ever, you know, like, started development on the games, is that the games had, like, these big contests attached to them. They had all these puzzles. You had to read them. The manual was a huge part of the game. You had to, like, look for secret clues in the manual. And uh, then, you know, like, if you figured it out, you figured out the code and, you know, beat the game, you'd submit that and, like... By, by mailing it, of course. Um, yes, regular mail, because it's the 80s. See, that wouldn't be possible these days, because there's so much information sharing... Exactly. Freely across the world, you can never do something that has a significant prize um, because oh, yes. a lot of cheating. So and go on about the types of the prizes that you got. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, the first prize, I don't remember exactly which elements they were tied to, but the first prize was a medallion, and it wasn't like a like a like a, a toy or something. You get uh, it was a literal gold medallion encrusted with gems, and the second one that they gave out was a goblet. And the same thing. I mean, these were, these were all, like, actual treasures that they made. Uh, the third was a globe, which is kind of a weird one. It was, like, on a little pedestal and stuff. And the final, uh, I'm pretty sure about this, uh, the final one was the sword. And that was, like, the clincher. Um, unless now, wh- what happened to the medallion? You skipped over that. Uh, the medallion? Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, uh, Two out of the four uh, treasures were actually collected in one. The medallion so, might have been the only one that actually went out, even though this, uh, I think the second game was made. But anyway, these yeah, are, these are all things right. we can look up on the internet and realize where we were wrong. I'm later. positive I'm getting half of this wrong, but it's just fun telling the story. Because right. you, know, you get to like use the, like, oh, and a long time ago voice. 
uh, the medallion, the guy who won it, uh, later on, I think for like, you know, pay for college or something, he melted it down just to, you know, get money out of it. Uh, uh, the goblet apparently did not go out. I was pretty sure it did. And as far as I know, nothing's happened to the goblet yet. It's, it's fine. But the sword, and here's the thing, Atari, you know, like right around this time, you can just see by just their business choices that Atari had no idea what they were doing. They're like, hey, let's make a sword that costs $50,000 to make. I mean, it literally was like gem-encrusted gold diamonds and, you know, everything sword. And we'll give it away in a contest. It'll be cool. And See, that actually is cool. So I don't want to say that they didn't know what they're doing. Oh, it's awesome. Certainly marketing-wise, they... They were buffoons because they made bad games to go along with this cool contest. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've only seen videos of the games, but they're total, total garbage. I mean... I mean, I would say that about any game that released on the Atari. Well, I've, I've played a lot of Atari games, and they the, there's, like, the game that doesn't make any sense until you read the instruction book and figure out what you're, what you're looking at. And then there's the games where even when you know everything, it's just still unplayable. And this, this fits the latter category. Yeah, they were just built for contests, basically. I mean, there was nothing actual. There's no real game attached to these things that was fun to play. Okay, so the but sword. The sword is made. It's awesome and totally awesome. Uh, God only knows how much it would actually like be worth today. But the thing is, Atari crashed. I mean, like everything fell apart. The whole gaming market crashed, and like this. So the contest never happened. They never got to it. They never like you know released this game. Uh, nobody even got to really play it. So, uh, and whatever happened to the sword, it just disappeared. It was gone. And now nobody knows where it went. Yeah, some people aren't sure if it ever existed at all. I'm sure somebody will know. Who's, who's the guy who ran Atari? We've heard his name a million N- times. Nolan Bushnell, but he sold it off by then. Like, he sold it off quite a bit. That was his name, right? Am I pronouncing that wrong? I think you got it right, yeah. yeah. Nolan Bushnell. So he started Atari, but you think by the time it crashed, he was already out? I'm pretty sure that he only actually ran it for a couple of years. Okay. Steve Jobs was involved at Atari for a while, right? Um, probably. I, think I, I don't remember all that. Either way, this story <laughs> is fascinating to me for a number of reasons. First and foremost, because I'd never heard it before. And that by itself surprises me quite a bit. Uh, and the fact, yeah, that there's some, some lore attached to some fantasy item, which makes it even more loreful. <laughs> um, this is This is awesome. So that would be your... You know, video game swag of choice. Yeah, that's a lot better than Dragon View for the Super Nintendo, which is you know worth about forty-five bucks. Dragon View and Sparkster, (laughs) lest lest we forget. (laughs) Those are the two off uh, off top of my head. I'd want it not because it's a fifty thousand dollar piece of treasure, but because of just what it's. It's a sword. It's cool. I want it because it's a sword that like slayed the Atari dragon. (laughs) 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 Right. Like, way to put it. And it's funny that we're talking about the crash, right? It's the entire idea of a, an industry crashing is is truly fascinating to me because it's first of all it's an entertainment uh, industry, so those that's really hard to kill, right? right? You don't just and I guess it didn't totally die because we're we're playing games now, but only because of Nintendo, basically. But it's like they so they made a bunch of bad games. But why would that make everyone think that they could never make a good game again? And I, I don't even know how long it was between the crash and the Nintendo. What it was like two years? Uh, more than that, because the crash happened what? Was like it eighty two to eighty three? I yep. thought it was eighty four. No, it was before that. And then Nintendo hit America around eighty six. Yeah, the arcade crash was eighty two. Uh, Atari's, I'll, I'll just call it Atari's crash, was eighty three. Okay, and then Nintendo, a lot of their games are copyright 85, but I don't know when it hit America versus Japan. Right, because Japan. they actually had a really, a lot of people don't know this, they had a really bumpy first year uh, in Japan. Did they? Yeah, they didn't really make a lot of money. Um, that Actually, no, they lost a lot of money the first year. Part of it was like hardware issues where they, they had square buttons that kept getting stuck. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see, the first year they didn't allow the any... Famicom had square buttons? Yes, and I've never seen that. They didn't allow any third-party games. So the first year was all first-party Nintendo games. I could see that, yeah. Yeah, and they were planning on sticking through that because they didn't know how to like figure out how to control quality. They wanted to make sure that they weren't uh, heading in the same direction as the Atari crash. And that's where this, the seal of approval? Yep. Nintendo oh. seal came to play. That's right. Yeah, they never moved too far away from that whole first-party-only kind of <laughs> attitude, <laughs> did they? so true. Yeah, it's Super Nintendo days. Apparently, people want games made by Konami, right? 
<laughs> There's some good uh, ones. Sparkster. <laughs> Rocket Knight Adventures. Well, it's the sequel. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's like way better the, than the uh, X, the recent XBLA reboot of the same game. Yeah, they, there's a new Rocket Knight. It, well, is it new or is it the same thing? It's new. Okay, it's, it's a different dev studio, right? It's, it's what they call two and a half D. Yeah, I think it was licensed out or whatever. Yeah, because it didn't feel anything like the old ones. I can't think of a lot of really good licensed out games. My best example of licensed out games that suck way more than the original is like all of the other Bubble Bobble games. They're so bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so back back to what I was saying before. The crash, it's crazy to me. Crazy that it was able to actually happen, right? Like how did people go for four years or three years or whatever just thinking, yeah, that whole thing, that was just a fad. Like is that... That must be what it was, that it was determined to just be a fad, right? Yeah, I mean, the way I heard it described is that it's like everybody woke up in unison and suddenly thought, oh, well, all these games are kind of the same, not really getting a new experience by getting a new game. Yeah, and so then it took Super Mario Brothers. That's what's weird. Super Mario Brothers was the first game for the Nintendo in America. Was it not the first game for the, for the Famicom? Um, that's correct. Okay. And where the hell was... So Mario Brothers was arcade. Yeah. All right, I'm going to have to go wiki this up because there are bits of information I do not have. Anyway, listeners, thank you so much for doing that thing you do. We'll be back next week. Um, I think Ari is still going to be gone for a while. So, Tim, if you can stick it out, that'd be great. Justin, you're welcome back. Anything to say? Oh, just thanks for having us. Yeah. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.